Welcome to the Joy Joya podcast, where jewelry is joy and everyone is encouraged to add more polish and sparkle to the world with topics ranging from marketing tips to business development, best practices and beyond. This is the go-to podcast for ambitious jewelry industry dreamers like you. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. Jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 203, and today I'll be sharing an interview with a fascinating and creative woman who I met at this year's JCK Las Vegas when I participated with her and two other panelists on a panel called The Fringe of Marketing. She's a talented and visionary photographer, as well as the founder of a marketing and design agency that services the fashion and jewelry industries. I personally consider her to be the TikTok queen, so we spend a lot of time in this episode chatting about the social media platform. I'll share more about my guest in just a little bit, but here's a preview of what we'll be discussing. What jewelry brands can do to ensure they're effectively communicating their vision and identity in 2022 and beyond, Why should today's jewelry brands consider investing time and energy into TikTok? The storytelling opportunities for jewelry brands on TikTok and Instagram Reels, as well as some best practices for using both platforms, and more. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners and viewers, and you can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. I want to read my favorite review of the week. Artem Jewelry says, quote, she provides insights in a thoughtful, considered way. Her interviews are inspiring, full of interesting information about her guests and their businesses, end quote. Thank you. Well, I hope this interview episode meets your feedback and expectations. I really appreciate that review. If you leave one as well, I might read it on a future episode. So please let me know what you think about this one or about any other major takeaways you've had recently. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. During this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that's impressing me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. This week's Sparkle Award goes to The Clear Cut, a direct-to-consumer jewelry company that sells bespoke natural diamond engagement rings and the perfect everyday fine jewelry pieces handmade in New York City. I learned more about this brand, which I had heard of before, but didn't know a ton about from an article in Digiday, which is specifically about the investment that the ClearCut has made in 
TikTok. So lately, they've been focused on creating more organic content for the platform by partnering with influencers. And they're really focused on creating informational videos that are made to position them favorably and as experts and kind of thought leaders in the eyes of Gen Z. The growth has all been bootstrapped and most of the content creation has been done in-house. So it's super impressive what they've been able to achieve on TikTok organically. According to the article, quote, this year, the ClearCut is spending less than 3% of revenue on paid media, which has increased slightly as the brand added more channels to its media mix, including TikTok. The ClearCut's media mix is made up of paid search Facebook, Instagram and Pinterest. So it's cool to see that they've pulled back on that ad spend, which is what paid media refers to. And instead taking that money that they would have spent on ads and putting it toward creating really value driven, focused content on a platform that makes sense for them, which in the clear cuts case is TikTok. So Kyle Simon, the co-founder and COO of The Clear Cut says, this year we've seen TikTok rapidly overtake Pinterest. I would predict if this trend continues, it will overtake Instagram in terms of inbound leads and conversions for us. I'm not saying this is gonna be true for every jewelry brand, you know, some jewelry brands might see that Pinterest works really well for them or Instagram works really well for them. But I think the primary takeaway for me about this article is this is a brand that knows its target customer, where that target customer spends time, is paying attention to what's really working for them instead of just doing whatever they think is supposed to work, like maybe that's paid ads, and then truly leaning into that thing and trusting it and going full force to fully realize the potential of that platform. So I think this is an awesome example for any brand that's kind of trying to find its place in digital marketing. As I mentioned, you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week I share my thoughts about three relevant articles and you can get the links to these articles by checking out the show notes. The first article comes from insiderintelligence.com and it's called the top luxury categories among US consumers. So Insider Intelligence recently shared a report that lists the top luxury categories among consumers in the United States. And this is based on a survey that was conducted in June of this year. This was really enlightening to me and I hope it is to you. So it breaks down by percentages. What are these luxury consumers buying? by category. So number one, I was actually really surprised by this, to be honest, 47.3% of luxury consumers are buying footwear like shoes and boots. So that was the top luxury category. Number two, less surprising to me, I actually thought it would be number one, 46.2% are buying handbags and leather goods. So things like wallets and other similar accessories, tote bags, etc. 45.4% are buying luxury cosmetics and beauty products. Totally makes sense. For us, equally, 
equal percentage, 45.4% are buying fragrance. And the most surprising to me was number five on this list, apparel. So only 35.9% of luxury consumers are purchasing apparel. As you probably noticed, jewelry is not on this list. That was also surprising to me. Well, I mean, it's not in the top five. Jewelry only made up 23.2% and watches followed right behind that at 15.4%. So overall, less than a third of these shoppers bought accessories such as eyewear, jewelry, and watches in the past year. Is that surprising to you? I think the handbag and apparel stats really kind of shook me, let's say. So this article also says that personal luxury sales will reach $109.25 billion in the U.S. this year per their forecast, and more than a fifth of those sales will come from e-commerce. That is also very shocking to me that such a large portion of these sales are actually coming from online. So really interesting statistics. My main takeaway is that luxury jewelry brands should really be looking to other categories, especially footwear, handbags, and cosmetics to see how the brands in these categories are really cultivating desire with consumers. What can we learn when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to the sales channels they're using, the positioning, there's a lot to be learned here. So definitely take this into consideration. The second article comes from New York Times. I learned a lot from this one. It's called Art's New Perch, Your Neck, Not Your Wall. So unfortunately, this just ended on October 4th, but I was so interested in this, I wanted to share it anyway, because I think it's showing a trend or a new direction in certain types of jewelry consumers. So art as jewelry as art was a digital only auction and simultaneous exhibition at Sotheby's in Manhattan. Again, it already ended on October 4th, but it's the first time that this auction house decided to dedicate an exhibition to artists' jewelry. So basically 65-ish designs were showcased and these are, it's not art jewelry. And I'll explain that in just a moment, the distinction between artist jewelry and art jewelry. But the 65 pieces were by 20th and 21st century artists and they were works deemed by Sotheby's as covetable, wearable, and eminently collectible. So these were pieces by artists like Picasso, Max Ernst, Salvador Dali, Man Ray, Alexander Calder, people we all know from modern art museums. And then the most interesting thing to me was this distinction that there's this trend of collectors, these people who covet interesting jewelry, interesting objet, um, that they, are, they actually want jewelry made by these artists that are so high profile and that there's a difference between art jewelry. So while the former is often conceived and signed by a recognized artist, art jewelry on the other hand is created by lesser known artisans who may not rely on precious materials to lend it worth. I'm not here to say that art jewelry is bad or not worthy because I do not believe that, but I think what this article is saying that if the creator can kind of position themselves as almost a figure 
on their own and be a brand unto itself, it makes that jewelry so much more desirable. <laughs> of course, it's hard for anyone today to kind of position themselves as the next Picasso, but really it's this like seductive mystery, the prestige of the name of these people that are making the jewelry desirable in the collector's eyes. So there was one really good quote from this article by Sotheby's managing director and worldwide head of business development. And she said, artist jewelry holds a new seductive cachet for, for the clients. Wearable art is the next frontier in collecting. So what is my main takeaway about this? There's space in the world and there is even a desire, a need in the world for the true jewelry artist who isn't just making something interesting, which is wonderful, but someone who can like position themselves as a creative visionary, maybe even someone who does crossover in other creative arts. So they're kind of like this jack of all trades as Picasso worked in many media types of media. So I think it's just interesting to see like what these high-end jewelry buyers are seeking and what can we really borrow from that if we're trying to target these more luxury driven customers. So really cool insights coming out of Sotheby's. And then the last article comes from Social Media Today, and it's called Instagram Expands Tests of, Test of Multiple Links in User Bios. I could probably do an update about Instagram in every single episode of this podcast, but this one was pretty interesting to me. I choose to ignore a lot of the others. So could Instagram finally be giving its business users opportunities to share more links? Possibly. So social media today recently reported that Instagram has expanded access to a new option that enables creators to add multiple links to their Instagram bios. In the past, Instagram had recommended Linktree to help their users overcome this issue because as you know, Instagram currently only allows one link in bio for all users and you can't post any links in captions. So the Linktree was the band-aid to give users the functionality to have a link to like their website, to information about an event, to go shop a retailer, whatever you wanted to put in there. And many Instagram users now use Linktree, but now there may be more native functionality for users to be able to share links. And I'm just like, wow, this is a long time coming Instagram. I think it will be really useful for businesses to be able to direct people where they want to go. So my main takeaway from this article is this sounds great. Any way that you can engage with your customers off of Instagram, including getting them off the platform onto your website, getting them to sign up for your email marketing list is one step forward in engaging them in the purchase process and getting them to be your customers. So it's great that Instagram is giving businesses a way to get their followers off the app in an easier way without using a third-party service. For more information about any of these articles, check out the links provided in the show notes.
As I mentioned earlier in the episode, my guest today is a talented photographer and the founder of Denim and Velvet, a marketing and design agency based in Texas and serving the fashion and jewelry industries specifically. When Jansen Riley too picked up a camera as a side hustle during college, she knew she'd unlocked something special. Five years later, she's founded her agency. Jansen has a very specific talent in visually communicating a brand's magic and their special sauce, shall we say. She's also very skilled at sharing the threads of a brand's story in photo and video via platforms like Instagram Reels and TikTok. Without further delay, let's chat with my guest, Jansen. Hey, Jansen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you as a guest. Thank you all so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm truly honored. I'm excited to like be speaking to a new industry outside of our normal, and it's fun to get to work with new and unique companies like what you've created with Joy Joya. Awesome. So tell our listeners and viewers about your business, Denim and Velvet. First, give a rundown of what it is that you do. So Denim and Velvet Marketing and Design is an all-inclusive marketing agency. We cater to any business that is needing a any type of marketing, any really from digital, online with e-commerce and websites, social media, print, email and SMS, uh, photography, no matter kind of like what campaign style they're needing or marketing, um, we can cater to that. We started so that we could help small businesses I worked for a really large Western retail store and their marketing budget was more than the average. And uh, while I was there, I learned about other small businesses that we carried their lines within the store, how they couldn't market themselves just based on price and cost. So I saw a big need in the Western industry, which is where we started out at, um, for people to be able to have a cost-effective marketing plan or just a marketing agency that they could work with either full-time or project-to-project basis. So we started Denim and Velvet in 2017, um, like I said, catering to small businesses and letting them have that million-dollar marketing like plan or team and work, but on a very much more affordable and smaller-scale budget. That sounds like an amazing opportunity for small businesses to take advantage of your talent and your expertise. That's really cool. I was just very grateful to be able to work for some major companies that allowed me to learn what um, everyone needed on the retail and even wholesale side. I mean, I knew what I wanted as a consumer for marketing or like how I wanted to be marketed to, but having that opportunity to like have that one-on-one and real life um, experience really allowed us to be able to grow and expand the company right away as well. So I'm very appreciative of the positions that I've been able to work in in the past prior to being able to start Denim and Velvet. So what types of clients do you serve? Like who's kind of like your go-to target customer today? Our main customer is really the women's boutique industry. So we offer a little over 60 female models for them to choose from. Um, And we have a a natural light studio in our office, as well as a lot of really unique and beautiful outdoor locations. So we work with a lot of clothing companies where they will ship their apparel into us and choose what model they want to um, wear their, uh, sorry about that, wear their clothing and um, be able to showcase it for their website and social media. Then we have some that um, will do a seasonal marketing campaign 
So they'll send out like their summer collection and we'll do a big photo shoot with like five to seven models. So they have a lot of content to get them through one season. Um, we will have recently started breaking into the accessory world a little bit, not a ton. So it's been a new avenue within the past like three or four months to get to take that route, which has been so much fun. We'd worked with Western accessories um, like Silver um, Smiths and Turquoise brands in the past, but to get to work with new accessory companies has been a lot of fun. I know a lot of accessory companies need this kind of service for sure. I think everyone does. Um, and I feel like from what I, the accessory companies that I've spoken with, they feel intimidated because of the areas that they don't have, like not having the outfits to be styled on the models or not knowing um, necessarily what shots they need. And also like the price of their product can be a little bit scary about either sending it off or having someone wear it and like it taking the chance of it being like damaged in any capacity. So working through like those areas so that they're more comfortable with um, either us coming on site to work with them or sending their items to us and making sure everything is cared for properly. So that's been the area that I've seen the biggest hesitation from. How did you transition from being like a one woman show in your business to now managing a team? What was that like? Um, burnout, honestly, of uh, trying to do everything myself and there not being enough hours in the day. Um, there's been one area that I have not been able to do at all, and that's our logo design area. We do a lot of hand-drawn logos, and nobody would have ever paid for me to draw something. Uh, about the best thing I can draw is a stick figure, and even that is not very good. Um, and so that position has always been taken care of by someone else other than me. So, um, but expanding into hiring someone to take over the web design, the email and SMS marketing and social media, I just really focused on what areas I felt like my customers weren't getting the most attention and kind of hired in one at a time. And so it's really nice because if one of the team members does have an issue, um, not that I'm necessarily always on top of the trends currently, I try to be, but at least I can go help them and work through like problem solving since I have done that job before. So that's been really nice, but I would say I really started hiring in 2018, about a year after the company was open and, um, then being able to like really see like which areas needed the growth the fastest and. I have not always been the best boss. That was never my intention when I started the company was to be a boss. So I'm thankful for the girls that uh, work alongside me as they've let me learn and grow and kind of step into that role more each day. That's amazing and really inspiring. I like your honesty about that. Yeah, I, that was never my goal. I, didn't, I don't want to be the boss, um, but I'm very, very thankful that, um, that they have allowed me to make some mistakes that have been so incredible and self-sufficient and self-starting that I haven't had to be um, micromanaging anyone at any time. And so it's been a very easy transition, thankfully. So Denim and Velvet has helped so many brands bring their stories to life, especially through photography, like you mentioned at the beginning. What steps do you typically take to ensure a brand is being communicated as clearly and effectively as possible? The first step I have is I get on a phone call and hear their voice and like why they're passionate about their brand, what drives them, what's their reason for starting it. Um, I feel like 
when you get to tell it to somebody new, like you can really hear that passion. And then also ask them who their current customer is, if they're happy with that customer or if they're wanting to transition their business into either adding on a new customer or going a completely different route. A lot of time for the clothing industry, um, a boutique owner will want to sell to someone like their self or their family and friends. And then their customer that actually shops buys something totally different. So the original vision you had isn't where their business is going. And then they kind of feel not necessarily defeated because they are making sales, but it's not what they had envisioned. So then we work together to say, okay, if we do photo shoots, how can we take the products that we know are selling, but style them to showcase the business that you've always wanted so that we can bring in new products and grow and achieve that area. So if we have a company that maybe they're wanting something like more modern and mainstream, but graphic tees are selling for them, then we kind of like see what we can style at street style and take it on location and have like additional props or more movement with our model versus just a standard posed photo. And so kind of be able to take the areas that they're excelling at, but bring it back to what their original value and desires were. You made a lot of really interesting points. One that stood out to me was what you said about the smaller business owners and how they typically imagine their target customer as themselves, basically. So that's who they try to market to, but that that's not necessarily always the case or what the future of the business will hold. And I think that's a really important point for a lot of people who listen to and watch this podcast. Yeah, and like some people, it gets very frustrating for them. Um, But I think it's kind of a beautiful thing to happen because it shows you that so many more people outside of like your small niche of like what you think that you, your family or friends are wanting to purchase that are interested in and different ways that they would wear them or style them. And that's for anything from apparel to accessories. Definitely. So what are some of your personal favorite types of photo shoots to do with your clients? What's the most fun for you? Uh, My commercial shoots are always the most fun because we usually go to like some unique or new location and we're trying to get them upwards of six to eight months of content at one time. And so we'll have a, a big group of models, like I said, anywhere from five to seven. And those days are just really full of energy. They're very long um, and somewhat exhausting, but the energy at them is so high because they, what we are creating for them in that moment is so special. And we're doing video and photo and we're having fun and we're doing more unique and group poses. And we're trying to like mix and match different elements. So one outfit might get shot like six or seven times shown style different ways. So I think those are by far my favorite just because of the, um, like how exciting the day is. I mean, I love my product photography. That's what I do pretty much day in and day out. And it is such a, I feel like it's the meat and potatoes of the business. But adding in that commercial shoot seasonally is like getting that gourmet dessert or feel like you're going to <laughs> are always like staying in, like cooking at home and now you're getting to go out for that nice dinner. So that commercial shoot is always so much fun. Yeah. Are those photographs primarily used for social media or are they used in a number of platforms? They get used a lot of different ways. So when we do a commercial photo shoot, we're like gearing up for, like I said, one season or like even six to eight months of marketing. So they'll go for website headers, thank you cards, um, 
email and SMS marketing for like banners, uh, if they're doing shows and they want to add like new signage within their booth or business cards or informational about sizing guides, a lot on social media. Um, and so really when we do a commercial photo shoot, I shoot a lot of different orientations as well as like distances um, as far as like close-ups and like larger group shots. So that way they can have, I try to give them the most bang for their buck, honestly. So then they can take the images that are delivered and be able to use them on as many different platforms and locations. We have some that'll write blogs. And so each of each um, social media platform, website, email, they all have to have different size and orientations of photos. So we want them, th them to be able to utilize those images to cross promote across every platform and not have to use the same image. It might be the same group, but we'll do like four or five different poses. So when they see it on your website versus social media or email or blog or anywhere else, they're like, oh, that looks familiar, but it's different. And it helps them to connect and stay um, like hooked and investigate more of like what you're showcasing them. I'm sure that involves a lot of planning. How much planning time actually goes into one of these types of shoots? It depends on how much of a vision the customer has, but I would say on average, we've got about 14 to 17-ish hours in planning from choosing the models, um, scouting the location, styling, and getting everything ready ahead of time. And then a typical commercial photo shoot takes about three to four hours for like start to finish to shoot and video. And then I'll have about another hour and a half of editing. So all in all, roughly like anywhere from 22 to 25 hours. It really gives perspective and appreciation for how much planning plays a role into this. Cause when you see the number of hours spent planning versus the time actually spent shooting and editing, it's, yes. you're like, wow, okay. You really need to like think about this and strategize it. And it really helps you put things into perspective. Yeah. And what I do, um, and like to work with our customer is go through, um, it, like most of them aren't local, so they'll send the apparel into us. So when I get it and I know our location and like our time frame, I will um, do a shot list as well as a day of shoot map. So then I will have it grouped by what outfits are going on, what models, what group shots, what individuals, and then give myself a rough breakdown of how much time and what location I want to shoot at. So we, um, like I said, we've got some really beautiful locations. One of the recent places we shot is we have a wedding venue here in town that is also a um, bed, and bread and, yeah, bed and breakfast, excuse me. I don't know why that's so hard to say, but they've got some beautiful rooms. And so we did some interior and exterior shots. And so planning on what I needed to shoot outside during that beautiful morning hour, and then what we needed to shoot inside as the sun got higher and was going to cause some more harsh shadows and isn't as flattering. So planning out your day um, around that as well. And so like making sure you get, when I get there, I have a very detailed plan and order so that everything runs smoothly and everyone um, receives the best results as well. Not counting the models, how many team members are involved in making a typical shoot happen? Two. <laughs> Wow. I can't even imagine. It seems like so many moving parts. Uh, yeah, it, it can be. So we stay, like I said, with our organization ahead of time, it makes it really easy. So we'll have everything very detailed. 
out and we put every model's clothes on a specific color of hanger and have it all separated and in order. So that way, if we're not in the room when they go to get their clothes, they know exactly what their next outfit is and all the accessories are paired with it along with what shoe needs to go. So, uh, and a lot of our models, they work with us so frequently, they kind of know our flow of work also, so that helps. Um, but yeah, we try, I mean, I think a bigger team would be great, but we work pretty fast, so um, it's really nice. We can have someone in there making sure that clothes are being picked up or handed to the model, and then they know exactly where to meet me for the next shot. And so I pretty much stay in my one spot um, while we shoot at one location and then move to my next area and they kind of follow me around. Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> so I know you work primarily with like fashion and apparel brands and some accessory brands, but I'm curious if you have insights, especially after going to JCK and kind of immersing yourself in, in our industry, what are some things that you think jewelry brands can be doing today to really bring their brand to life through digital media, like email, social media, website, et cetera? Adding personality in their brands. That was the one thing that I didn't see an abundance of. Uh, they have such gorgeous pieces from custom made to ones that are there buying wholesale to then retail in their stores. But from what I looked at online and like looking at brands that I, their booths like really were like breathtaking to me and I would look them up online, it would be very, what I consider like cut and dry marketing. It would be like, this is X, Y, and Z stone in X, Y, and Z metal with, that can be worn one, like however many different ways. And then it would either be like, go online for pricing or DMS or the pricing is here, but there was no personality in the photo or the post and along with their entire account. So I think having, you don't necessarily have to have a face if they're wanting to stay with like flat lay or product only photos, but the voice and the captions and the styling of the photos make a huge difference. Um, and so letting their business also have a voice and have that personality. And so that way when people are on there, they don't feel like they're just being sold to, they're having something to connect with as well. Definitely. So listeners and viewers, you heard it here, an outside perspective on what you could be doing better or differently. And I, I agree with you. I think that's a really great observation. Yeah, I mean, I think education is huge about letting them know like what metals and stones are in the jewelry, but also like giving that jewelry almost like a story or its own voice. We work with a um, company called The Ranch Collection, and she has antique and vintage um, movie props and memorabilia from Hollywood from Western movies made in the 60s and 70s and so when we were photographing these and putting them on our website we sat down and wrote these like fun little stories about each of them like giving the the product their name and kind of like a background and story so when people were looking at this and her because of where they came from being used in movies her products were at a higher price point and so it gave people something to connect with. They weren't just reading a name and the movie that that uh, piece was associated with. They were getting to know, like, we would make it up and be like one of the um, boot, pair of boots that she had at Roy Rogers wore, which is a very big Western character. And so she made up a little story like, um, 
Roy put these on and he worked 40 hours a week in them and they were so comfortable. He would even wear them to bed and like, just go like make this whole detail about the comfort and like the quality of them that he would wear them forever, but they're still in great shape. Well, it made that pair of boots sell so much faster. Not that somebody wouldn't have seen Roy Rogers name and wanted to own them, but because it had its own like voice and personality with the product, it moved really quickly. And so we found a lot of success in success in accessories and uh, items of like similar style with them having their own voice clothing you can show the movement you have a model's face and emotion attached to it where with an accessory or a flat lay you don't have that so you have to build it in somewhere that's such a great point i love the example that you shared and i agree i think it's a great tip and takeaway for for our listeners and viewers yeah i mean you we're in a business of selling so why not add in I call it fluff, you can call it whatever you want to the post and your product and give it um, a little bit more detail and give something for people to connect with. It's different for a wholesaler to a retailer because a retailer doesn't need that. But if you're going to have an e-commerce business that you're selling to the public, I think that your voice should come through in your product descriptions and your captions and even email and SMS marketing as well. So at JCK, we were both on a panel about the fringe, <laughs> the fringe of marketing. And one thing that you shared a lot of great insights about was specifically about using TikTok for marketing. And I was like very interested to hear the way that you talk about it. And you seem to have a lot of experience with the platform. So I recently came across this article in Business of Fashion, and I'll link it in the show notes for everyone that... In, in the fashion industry, trend forecasters are now, instead of looking at Instagram, which they used to do a lot of in the past, are looking to TikTok to kind of see like, what's the next hot thing? Like, how are people styling themselves? How should brands in the fashion space be positioning themselves? And I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on this. And maybe is there something the jewelry industry can also take away as well? Yeah, TikTok has taken all social media by storm for a multitude of reasons. But I will say as far as the trend forecasting, I think it's because brands are able to showcase products in a more unique way and multiple ways. Um, I have a bone to pick with Instagram right now. I think it's trying to be too much like TikTok. And so it has been like on my back burner. Um, but TikTok, I think, has been so uh, innovative in what they're doing, having their creator fun and letting people be create, uh, paid to create content um, from the app itself based on their views and likes and engagement. So it's really made people want to spend time there. But as far as like setting trends, I think because people are getting to see it in motion where on Instagram, it was a posed photo and not that they weren't gorgeous and like still showing you how to style, but now people are showing you how to do something, whether that's with like um, layering jewelry or wearing only a statement piece and like what it looks like with different outfit or showing how to take a statement piece from day to night and showing you how to adjust. Like if it's a um, clasp necklace that can be at different lengths, like showing how it can be worn shorter during the day or longer in the evening or vice versa and how to pair their like wear one top 12 different ways where before you could scroll through a picture and yes it was beautiful but if you show someone like hey if you tie your shirt like this or this is 
how you half tuck a button down shirt into a pair of jeans and it not look bulky or being able to, um, if you have a pair of jeans that are too big, that was a big trend in the fashion for a while. It's like showing people how to like wrap the button around a belt loop and then button it. And it was giving you like an asymmetrical waistline and being able to like really showcase that in almost real time has been huge as far as like the forecasting and setting of trends and different styling aspects. Yeah, those are all really good examples. So since you're so savvy at the storytelling, especially through, you know, both the photo and the video format, and I think you feel more than comfortable with reels and TikTok, what would you say are some best practices for fashion and jewelry brands on those platforms? How can, what, what would you like to see more of and what would you encourage brands to be doing more of? Two things immediately come to mind, um, and that is showing a piece how many different ways it can be styled with however many different pieces within their line or what they have in their store so that the people are making a big investment in jewelry um, for the most part. I mean, there's a bunch of different price points, but if they're going to buy a necklace that is upwards of $1,000 or more, that's a, a big investment. And so showing them how many different ways they can style it, and it doesn't have to be with fashion, just with like different pieces. like. If you have a simple gold chain, even if it's something that's like trendy and not necessarily real gold, how they can style it with different pieces or like incorporating um, if they if it's someone who is venturing from like the costume jewelry world to the luxury world, how they can still pair the pieces together until their collection is rebuilt or is completely luxury. Um, and then also showing people what what items are timeless, what is something that they need to have in their jewelry box that they're gonna be able to buy at that 21, 22 age graduating college and they're wanting to start making investments in their jewelry to something that then turns into an heirloom that they can pass down. And I think with those two things also comes education. So that's multiple things that they can make video content from. You can show them how to style it also how to care for it and make sure it's something that lasts them forever and um, making a building a collection of jewelry like what is the first piece they should buy second and so on from their recommendations and the one thing that I think people need to realize with making a TikTok or a reel when you make it it doesn't go live so have a lot of trial and error if you go to our TikTok and scroll down to the beginning of it we have improved a million percent. Part of that is we did get a new location that has a lot better lighting. Um, but as far as like just our general, like being comfortable in front of a camera or understanding what people wanted on our platform, which is a mix of education and humor. So we'll have a few like very humorous videos and then give in some education. We started with primarily only education and trying to teach people and not that they didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't like what they, they came to see from us. We, we like to have a lot of fun here. And so they wanted to see more of the fun behind the scenes. So also understanding like what your audience wants from you. Yeah. That last tip I think was especially important and inspiring because you have to start somewhere. And I know yes. there are people listening and watching who are just kind of perfectionists or they're nervous about getting started because they want it to be right immediately. 
And that mm -hmm. never happens for any content creator. There's always an evolution and you have to be able to start somewhere in order to get to where you want to go. Well, when I first started making TikToks, I was doing it probably the hardest way possible because I am a perfectionist. And since we do video by nature as well, I was filming everything on my camera, then saving the sounds, take them into Premiere, resize, sound sync it, make sure everything um, lined up then having to like save, export it, send it to my phone, and then put it on TikTok, find the sound and link it. And I mean, they were great videos, but it would take me an hour and a half to make one video. And that was not um, time conducive at all. So then I was like, okay, what is my best time of day with lighting in my office? And so then I would come up to my office on a Saturday or Sunday and have my outfits planned. And I am big on batch creating content. So trying to create a lot of content at one time so that I have it and I don't have to think about it. And so I would have like my sticky notes and be like, okay, I'm gonna use this sound um, and I'm gonna write this caption and I'm gonna have this text on my video. And I would change into that outfit, film all of it, and then have it ready and saved in my drafts. And once I realized like, okay, is my iPhone camera as great as my video camera? No. Is it good enough that it's still quality content? Yes, if I have the correct light, whether that was adding in a ring light or using natural light from our windows. And once I like posted that first one and it still got engagement, it was like a weight came off my shoulders. I was like, okay, I can do this and not spend an hour and a half to two hours creating one video and having to film on my camera and take all these additional steps. And honestly, our TikToks and Reels started performing better because we were making them within the app and using their um, elements that they provide. I was using their text or their GIF files or filters or um, really anything that they had in there. They've got all the different, I mean, they've got millions of filters in there from like little pop-ups you can do on your head to changing your appearance and so much stuff. But once I started utilizing the features and elements they have within their app, we started gaining engagement. And so that was very rewarding. And like I said, a weight lifted off my shoulders because then it was like, okay, I don't have to put so much pressure. I'm trying to be too perfect and they're not caring. And it wasn't diminishing the quality of our content in any capacity. You said so many great things that are important to remember, but I'm still I'm still stuck on the fact that everything you described at the beginning only took you an hour and a half. I feel like if I tried to do that, it would be like four hours. <laughs> so I think you were still working very efficiently. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of trial and error. And when TikTok started, like when I, I shouldn't say when it started because I didn't get on there immediately. But um, towards the end of 2020, when I was starting to incorporate it into the business, I remember I was driving to Oklahoma to go speak to a group of high school students. And I had the radio on and I would hear a song and there'd be like a couple clips of lyric and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I want to use that. And it would like spark something. Well, then I was like creating my own sounds to go on TikTok and those videos would like completely tank. And I was like, what the heck? I thought that was so great. Like I felt like that audio went great with what I was trying to explain. Well, I didn't realize that they want you to use the audio that they already have in their app. And it takes a while for an original audio to take off. And so I was like, okay, 
go try and find something as close to or find that song in a different set of lyrics or something to use with it or a different trend to go. And then once we started really utilizing everything that the app offered, it started to be a good growth process. And it is a slow growth process. And I grew our Facebook and Instagram following so quickly that it was honestly a little bit discouraging on TikTok. I think right now we're only even around like 1,200. And to some that may seem like a huge number and some like extremely tiny. But uh, from what I've learned on TikTok as far as how their engagement works, right now we're performing excellent because we're, gonna, we're averaging over 100 likes per video and our comments are in the like 10 to 20 area per video. And how they want their breakdown to be is 10% of your followers should like every, or 10% of like your following or like typical engagement should like every one of your videos and 1% should be in comments or saves. And so we're staying really true to that. So now our videos are getting pushed out even farther and faster. And so we're st having steady growth now where when we were trying to be completely original and not using anything that was on the app or um, like not necessarily we weren't using trends, but trying to create our own, our growth, growth was extremely slow and almost suppressed. So using everything that the app has to offer has really skyrocketed our account. Yeah, those are really great points that you make. And I think might seem counterintuitive to like the creative people out there that when they have a new platform, you know, they want to add their own spin to it, just like you have those ideas sparked. And you want to try to do something new because you think that's the thing that's going to get you attention. But really, you have to kind of understand the platform that you're working with and do the best practices that they recommend instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, I think. Yeah. And it's one thing for a content creator where their job is to create a new trend or like a trend forecaster to do those things. But as a business, why make everything harder for yourself when they've already like set the blueprint out? You can go um, look up that sound that is currently trending or like rising pretty quickly and you can see what other people are doing um, or how they're using the sound or even I spoke about this at JCK where you can put the sound in the background and turn the volume down and use your own voiceover, but it links that sound with all the other videos. So if somebody is wanting to look through that sound and see what other people are doing with trends or to really like raise the growth of that, then they can um, still be connected to it without actually staying on that trend itself. So Jansen, for listeners and viewers who aren't working with you, maybe they're not at the stage in their business where they can work with an agency like yours or they're just in an exploratory phase. Do you have any tips for what they can do on their own or to get started until they're able to work with an agency? Absolutely. Um, so I'll go photography aspect first. Um, the biggest thing, you do not have to have a professional camera. I will say having the most up-to-date cell phone is very beneficial um, because their camera quality just continues to get better and it's probably not scratched or messed up yet. So having a good camera within your cell phone and then utilizing natural light or having enough available light from like ring lights or overhead lights. So um, photos, number one, most important things are having enough light and then making sure that your background is very clean and not distracting. So for jewelry, if you're wanting to showcase like something on a hand for bracelets or rings, 
making sure that wherever is below or next to the hand when you're taking a picture is a nice clean background and extremely well lit. Sometimes it does take two people or setting your phone up in like a tripod or something like that to get that right angle. Um, there was a jewelry company that we were working with and I was trying to help show them the difference of like videoing a ring like within a shadow or by the window and I kept trying to film it on myself and I was like this is making my hand look extremely distorted and I am not doing a good job at all so having someone step in and help um, and so that just being able to like understand which angles are also going to show the jewelry best and take I mean hundreds of videos if it needs to um, they don't have to be long videos they can be like little two and three second clips until you're comfortable with like which angle if you need help with something or if you can do it on, on a tripod and move your hand in there and get that focus on your own but just being able to make sure that your background is really clear and the light is good and if you feel like you're having a hard time getting a photo of something use a video and like get your hand or neck or ear or whatever you're trying to showcase into a pose and then kind of hold it and then you can go back to that video and screenshot that because the quality is going to be equally as good but sometimes it's a little bit more comfortable to do it in a video and hold it versus like I feel like people get really stiff in a photo because they feel like they have to be perfectly still and they can't move or they know that video is made for movement and is showing um, like how everything is like moving as you wear it and so that makes a big difference of, as far as like getting that perfect photo. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is what you're editing with. Um, this is huge in the apparel industry and I have learned that it's extremely important in the um, jewelry industry, industry as well and that's making sure that your products are color correct. Um, for diamonds, I learned a lot at JCK about the different clarities and also different types of diamonds and the way that they show up in photos. So making sure when you're editing, whether you're using, I mean, there's so many apps um, from like Teza, Lightroom Mobile and all their different um, presets, Visco. I mean, I would miss millions if I tried to name them off. But if when you're editing, making sure that you're not changing the color and the appearance of the product. Um, we try and do such minimal editing, even if we're taking it on a phone or a camera. Our main areas are to brighten the shadows or maybe even pull the highlights down, depending on how bright an area is. And then we work with the clarity a lot, and that just gives you a little bit more crispness to your image, and it'll pull your black points up so that um, if something is maybe a little bit washed out, it looks very um, defined but not over editing or trying to necessarily follow the trends. I will say that's one area that I don't agree with like the influencing and trend forecasters. They get on like such a color trend, whether that's like really bright and airy or overly vibrant or super dark and moody. And not that the images and videos aren't beautiful, but they don't truly represent what they're wearing. So then when somebody does go to purchase that item and they get it in and it doesn't look like what they thought it would, it, you wind up having a lot of returns or upset customers and things like that. So making sure your lighting in, uh, is good, background is clear, and then making sure that when you edit, you're keeping color correct are my two areas that I would tell people to focus on first and foremost because those are going to affect your business in so many different ways from your social media, your website, having the, the nicer quality images, your 
email and SMS and also down to like your videos for TikToks and Reels. So those are going to be your two big things that I would focus on first before branching out to working with an agency. Wow. So many great tips. Those are so such helpful like action items that people can do on their own and then a lot that they can practice until they get to the point where they can potentially work with someone. I learned so much today, Jansen. I would love to give you the opportunity to share like what's coming up in your business, what's on the horizon and how can people connect with you? Yeah, so our two, one's new, one's upcoming. We recently launched an insiders club where we have a membership program for people to learn our tips and tricks. It is $25 a month and we do a um, long form video every month that only our insiders have access to. And then each week we do a PDF with trainable uh, action items. Uh, the month of July has been heavily focused on social media and we're getting ready to launch August on Monday and that um, on August 1st. And so that will be um, all about branding and knowing how to utilize your logo and what different variations along with a lot of other um, tools and trips for tips for graphic design. And then our upcoming item that we're launching is we do a content calendar every year. So our fourth quarter content calendar will be coming out as well on August 1st. And that is just setting up every business for success on how to prep for any sales or knowing how to batch content, creating, having a scheduled plan going into the fourth quarter, which is madness in any retail industry. So just making sure that you're organized and prepared for every holiday, week to week basis, knowing how to stay on trend and keeping yourself um, kind of having a guided path to work through that busy season. Amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been awesome. I appreciate your time, wisdom, and experience. And yes, I hope my listeners and viewers learned a lot as well. I hope so. I hope I, sometimes I get to rambling and feel like I give way more information than people are ready to um, absorb. So maybe they'll listen back several times and everything will hit home. <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all. But yes, they can always listen more than once and and absorb as much as they as they want so thank you again i really appreciate it no thank you so much it's such an honor what did you think about my interview with jansen to learn more about her agency denim and velvet visit www.denimandvelvet.com or follow them on instagram at denim and velvet you can also always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A -S -S at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com book for all the information. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with Joy Joya, visit joyjoya.com where you can sign up to download our free eBooks about various topics in jewelry marketing.